1: Hey, here we are. My guest today is a self proclaimed neuroscience geek. She's also the author of two best selling books Happy Hour with Einstein and Happier Hour with Einstein, Another Round. She's also a keynote speaker, even delivering a TEDx talk entitled, I'm a Fraud. I think you are a fraud too. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that makes you want to watch for sure. She's been front and center on many stages, having taught students in a classroom, as well as board members of Fortune 500 companies. She joins me now from Naples, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Melissa Hughes.
0: Thank you. It's good to be here, Mark.
1: Well, let's start here, Dr. Melissa. Uh, It is true. I am a fraud. How did you find out?
0: Wow. So I was sitting, um, I was actually sitting in an airport, getting ready to go do a present keynote presentation on all things Brainiac. And um, I, I had this like overwhelming sense of surely they're going to figure out that I, I, I don't have any business being up there. Like I'm totally, they're going to like, when I get there, they're going to say, oh, I'm sorry, we've made this huge mistake. <laughs> you should go home now, right? So I did the presentation and of course I had lots of people come up and, you know, thank me and ask for my card and, you know, all the stuff you hope to happen. I go back to my hotel and I literally crumpled into Mm -hmm. a puddle in my hotel room thinking, well, when are they going to figure out that I know, have no idea what I'm talking about. And I don't know, maybe six months after that, I had a conversation with other Professionals, people that I knew uh, from LinkedIn that I had met for the first time, uh, several authors, several speakers, and we're sitting around this table having wine. And I said, You know, do you guys ever feel like you have no business doing what you're doing? Thank you. At any moment, people are going to call you out and say, get out, frog, get out. And the entire table, they were like bobbleheads. Right. They're like, yes, yes, we totally understand that. And so, you know, I did a little bit of research and come to find out that imposter syndrome is a thing. It's a real thing. And uh, I also learned that our inner critic, sometimes you just need to tell that like in my case, she's a bitch sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes you gotta tell her, just go sit down. Like you don't know what I, you're talking about, right? I think
1: in the TEDx talk, you had said the chairman of the shitty committee. Is that how chairman you chairman of
0: the shitty committee? Yeah. Yes. When and you... what I know about so here's the other thing: like what I know about the brain is when you get stuck in that negative feedback loop, mm-hmm. you're stuck. I mean, it's like you're just looking for one negative after another. And unless and the only way to like break that is to intentionally put a positive in your space, right? So, okay, uh, you know, when the chairman is speaking loud and, right. and you know, being being the chairman, um, y- y- you have to like override that negative feedback loop. And the best way to do that now that I, now I know is gratitude. And, you know, you look around and you find something you're really grateful for or even better, you tell mm. someone. I'm really grateful for you, because when you express appreciation to another person, you get more out of that than the other person. Like it's oh. crazy, but you but, do. But yeah.
1: That's like that's kind of like when you. Uh, I just posted something about petting uh, your your pet it, in in the video I posted. It was like a it looked like a prairie dog or a groundhog or something. But anyway, the groundhog was like enjoying it, but also the human by doing it. You also release like oxytocin or whatever. And yeah. Oxytocin, yeah. Uh, well, you sort of answered the the follow ups I had lined up. You you did it all in a nutshell. I I wanted to ask about imposter syndrome, why it happens, and how to overcome it. And you just you basically explained just that. But briefly, let me just uh, one more thing about imposter syndrome before I go forward. Is imposter syndrome ever a good thing? Is it ever healthy? And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think sometimes my self-doubt, and I do have it, I do uh, battle it, it keeps me in check. I mean, what a what an asshole I would be if I walked around all the time thinking, yeah, I'm the best podcaster, I'm a Zen master. I mean, do, do I need a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the key is knowing when uh, that internal dialogue is inaccurate and, and just self-doubt. I mean... You know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? right. The very top of that is self-actualization. self-actualization, right? And self-actualization doesn't mean you are the best, you are <laughs> the guru, you are the genius. Self-actualization actually means you know what you can do well and mm. you know what where, what you can't do well. Oh, like what self-actualization the- is I know my strengths right. and I know my weaknesses. That's I'm a- able to teach. Yeah. I mean, make other people smarter, but I also know where I can get smarter and I go find those people who can make me smarter. So it's a little bit of a myth that you think when you get to the top, you're the best that you can be. Right. When you get to the top, you actually know what you're not good at.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that uh, I, I really like that description because i'm a little closer to that than i used to be because you know i used to be a little know-it-all but now i realize like man i don't know a lot (laughs) there's a lot i don't know (laughs) so um
0: yeah you know um so the so you know the dunning-kruger effect is we all know those people who think they know everything yeah they know the least least. (laughs) if you think about this and if you think about when you first like get interested in doing something and i'll say uh, playing the piano right mm-hmm. and you want to be a pianist and so you know you're very passionate about playing the piano and you start taking lessons and in your head you think you are the maestro like right. you can hear <laughs> like a symphony in your head right and everybody else is like oh keep practicing babe keep right. practicing babe. <laughs> but the more you learn the more you understand um, and more accurately compare yourself to others. Yeah. You know, and I think it's that we don't do a very good job of being giving accurate comparisons of ourselves to others. Mm. We either go one side and say, we're not good at all. Everybody else is better than me. Or we go the other side and say, I'm the best. Right. And nobody can touch me. So, um, yeah. but the Dunning Kruger effect, there's a very fascinating story behind the Dunning Kruger effect. Um, there was actually a bank robber in I think it was Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that put lemon juice all over his face and he went into banks and he robbed them with no mask, no disguise, no anything. And he was caught like within hours because the cameras got him. And when he was questioned, he was like, Well, I don't understand. I put lemon juice on my face. I should have been invisible. And he literally thought that he would be invisible. And two scientists named Dunning and Kruger. That's studied- how it started? <laughs> wow. That's how it started, yep. They, they studied the story and they were like, what is yeah. that? And then they learned that, you know, they're that's really pretty, I mean, that was pretty stupid. But, right. um, but there are often times where we think we're way better than we are. And it isn't until we learn more that we learn that we're not as good as we thought we were.
1: You got that right. And there's so many directions that that could be applied, politically speaking, but this is not a political <laughs> show. So we won't go there. Um, shifting gears, there are some questions that you pose in your books that I think are, are really helpful for us non neuroscientists to get a handle on to understand better so that we can cope better. So I want to ask a few of these. Um, the first one that just really stuck out to me is, why does rejection hurt so much? And and similar to that, why am I, because this isn't necessarily rejection, the second part of the question, but it's similar. Why am I so bothered by people who troll me online? Like I, I'll post something and it might be, an, it could be the most innocuous thing. It could be puppies. And 99% of the people love it and give it a thumbs up. And Oh, I love your post, Mark. Thank you so much. And the comment, and there will be one person who will come out of nowhere and say you're promoting puppy meals or something you know they'll just come up with some criticism yeah. out of nowhere and and it it hurts it bothers me why does it bother me
0: it does well before i answer that i just want to say if any of the listeners criticize this podcast i will be crushed <laughs> i may not get over it <laughs> um yeah i know what you're i know exactly what you're saying so first um you know we're wired to connect and uh this is an ancestral hand-me-down you know the worst thing uh in our caveman tribes that could have happened to us um is that we were rejected by our tribe mm
1: mm-hmm. And so there's a survival, there's sort of a Darwinian survival thing going on there that you're gonna survive better in a group.
0: Absolutely. Okay. But also, um, you know, rejection is our greatest fear. It it is our greatest fears to be rejected. And when you think about say ghosting, hmm. um, you know, ghosting is has become more and more pervasive. I and mean, it used to be just in personal relationships, but now People ghost employers and they just don't show up. And, you know, it's a little bit different because in, in the professional space, you can just like move on and replace that position. But there's still something in us that says, what what, what does that say about me that that person didn't even like want to say goodbye or that right. person doesn't want to be my friend or right any of those kinds of things. So uh, the first thing is that we are totally wired to connect. Um, And that fear of rejection, if you think about, um, if you break your arm, uh, the brain responds to physical pain Mm -hmm. in a certain way. And if you think about the brain's first job is not to think, the brain's first job is to keep us alive. So if you are hurt physically, the brain is going to respond in such a way that you kind of everything else doesn't matter you're focused on that pain
1: mm-hmm.
0: well the brain responds to psychological pain the same exact way. same way i
1: got gotcha.
0: it it cannot differentiate between well i mean it, it differentiates we differentiate between physical pain and psychological pain but the brain responds the same way
1: well okay Since so i can't think my way out of a broken arm i have to just wait for that to heal or you know put it in a cast and you know wait for nature to take its course in the healing process But I do have a little bit more control over what I think. So how can I or can I (laughs) outthink my way out out of rejection or that those those hurt? feelings? How can I repair? How can I heal my broken feelings (laughs) faster than my arm?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. So that's a really good question. So if you think about earlier, you asked about upstairs brain, downstairs brain. Right. Right. The downstairs brain is the survival brain and it is kind of always by default in charge. Um, But when you feel a certain sense of safety, both physical safety and psychological safety, this is why psychological safety is such a buzz in culture and workplace culture right now. Because if you don't feel feel psychologically safe, then your thinking brain is not in charge, your survival brain is still saying, I'm not safe here. Um, And psychological safety can mean uh, I'm accepted by my peers. I'm appreciated for my strengths and my contributions. If you don't have those things, then there, if there is no psychological safety, then your survival brain is in charge. When, when your survival brain is in charge, your limbic system says the limbic system is the emotional Sentinel right in the center of the brain. Your your limbic system says danger. We need to address the danger first. And to do that, I'm going to allocate all of my neural resources downstairs to the survival brain to take care of this because the first job is to keep you alive. Yeah. And so when that happens, it actually pauses the prefrontal cortex. And that's why when we're stressed or fearful yeah. or whatever, we make those snap decisions and, and afterwards you go, man, what in the world was I thinking? well you weren't thinking you were you were surviving
1: that's so fascinating I, this uh a, a psychologist friend of mine this was many years ago but it stuck with me he he told me he gave me this analogy about emotions versus rational thought and he said when um when you he 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 likened it to like a man or woman uh, riding on top of an elephant. And then, you know, the human being that's guiding the elephant is your logical, rational thinking. You can guide the elephant to the left, to the right, straightforward, but the elephant itself represents emotions. And if the elephant gets angry or jealous, or, you know, there's nothing that little man can do to guide the elephant anymore. That elephant's going to go wherever it wants to go. And I don't know, just the way you were describing it, uh, basically reminded me of that analogy that, it's, that's
0: a really good one. I um, the the example that I always use is when I was a kid. One of my favorite things to do is go to the Cleveland Municipal Stadium, and it's not there anymore. But um, you know, my dad worked a good year. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We didn't have a lot of money, and so we would go to Saturday doubleheaders. And what I didn't know then was that my mom and dad could entertain an entire family of five for twenty bucks for an <laughs> right. afternoon, right? Um, But we'd sit in the cheap seats and I remember just marveling at the grass patterns and thinking, my gosh, those are so amazing. When I can ride my riding lawnmower, I'm going to create those (laughs) grass patterns in my grass and my yard is going to be MLB epic, right? And so when I got to ride the riding lawnmower and I tried to make the grass patterns, what I learned was you can't see the grass patterns when you're in the grass. Yeah. It isn't until you step back and like, I'd go up to my balcony and look at the grass. Then I can see the grass patterns, but neuro, you you know, neuroscience is much like that. Our emotions, when we are feeling extreme emotions, whether they are extreme good or extreme bad, Mm -hmm. uh, we're not always the most objective, which is why when we're, you know, butterflies in the stomach in love. <laughs> you know, we can't see the all opposite of
1: that
0: are waving that says run away from this person. This person yeah. is not the person for you. We can't see that because you know we're in that we're in that state of euphoria. Yeah. Likewise when we're devastated about something, we don't do our best thinking. So like when you know the guy ghosts you and you you're like,, well, what is it about me? Is it my hair? Is it my teeth? Is it <laughs> what, what did I say the wrong thing? Am I not funny enough? You know, you you go into that negative feedback loop and you're not doing your best thinking because it's it's all of that negative emotion that's preventing you from seeing things objectively. So my advice is always when you're in either one of those situations, find the cheap seats like find a way to go up to the cheap seats and look at it objectively yeah. from a distance because, and, and sometimes, I mean, that's the best way you say, can you repair broken feelings? Yes. You ha- but you have to give yourself some distance, which is really hard because we often wallow. In yeah.
1: It's, right. It's, it's finding those cheap seats, which is kind of hard to do sometimes because you're well, cause you're so stuck in it. You know, right. it's hard to like step out of it or find a place I, uh, this is a brief tangent. I'll, I'll might even cut this part out. Do you, do you know the show Ted Lasso?
0: Yeah. I do. Okay.
1: I love that show and his character, uh, is so great, you know, cause he's just constantly kind, even when people are not kind to him. And, you know, I mean, sort of back to dealing with those trolls and stuff that when it bothers me, one way I find my cheap seats is I, cause I can be like emotionally invested in what they're saying and it pisses me off a little bit. And then I think, all right. Well, how would Ted Lasso handle this? <laughs> I don't want to say like I'm living my life, like what would Ted Lasso do? But it does like make me really evaluate because sometimes he's insulted. And, and and instead of like having that just firing back a defensive, you know, response, he finds a way to say, you know, well, you know, maybe you're right. You make a good point, you know, and, and he finds a way to kind of go around what their intention was. And uh yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It helps me find the cheap seats. I like that, uh, that analogy there. Well, we've we've covered a lot of ground, but honestly, we didn't scratch the surface for all the stuff I wanted (laughs) to ask you. But you're you're one of those people when I prepare for the interview, it's like it's it's easy and difficult in uh, the easy side of it is there's so much. I can go listen to your TED talk. I can go look at excerpts from your book. I can, you know, go find out lots of info on you. And then it's difficult because there's so much about you. There's so many. I mean, you know, I could ask you any question about neuroscience. We could be here all day, but uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that we, we've we covered what we have. But I do a segment in each uh, episode called Five Minutes Zen, where, you know, we've been talking about the science and everything. But I try to give people a down to earth practical thing that they can just think about for five minutes, maybe improve their day, hopefully improve their lives. So what would be your down to earth advice for us lay folks who aren't? Neuroscience Geeks. Um, What is your practical advice on how to lead a more peaceful, content existence? And I mean, it could just be as simple as what you said before, like get better sleep, get, get more sunlight and exercise. But essentially, how can we take good care of our brains?
0: So definitely, sunshine and exercise can't cannot uh, stress those enough. And and when you say exercise, it doesn't have to be work up a sweat. Go do CrossFit, like it doesn't have to be that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can be something as simple as doing a lap around the block, you know, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. Because um, we. About fuel for our body, but we very rarely think about fuel for our brain. Mm -hmm. And the fuel for our brain is oxygen and glucose. The thing about brain fuel is that the brain doesn't actually store the fuel or make the fuel, we have to get it up there. Yeah, and so just you know, walking for 10 minutes is enough to increase the oxygen, the blood and oxygen flow to your brain that can actually get you out of a, like, if you're working on some project and you find yourself stuck, Go take a walk.
1: It's so funny. I don't mean to interrupt you here, but it's so funny. One of the questions I had, and then I I researched it and I answered it, so I didn't have to ask you, but one was, I wanted to know like why I pace when I, in my creative mode, when I start to Write things or something. I tend to, whether it's an academic paper or creative uh, thing, I walk around a bunch, and then I've read up. You know, while you're, I'm getting the juices flowing, getting the blood going up to the brain, and you know, yeah, eat, feeding it. So
0: it, it it it's so crazy how just a few minutes of physical activity will feed your brain. So that's one thing, and the other thing is, um, and I think people are. Uh, probably less introspective these days than they used to be. <laughs> I, I think we're so busy. You know, our our to do list is so crazy long. Like, there's always more list than day. Right. I'm- I have things on my to-do list that I've carried over week after week after week, and at a certain point, you beat yourself up and you go, "Well, I'm not going to beat myself up over this anymore. I'm just going to take it off the damn list." There you because go, I'm not getting done, right? But I mean, if you think about your day, um, there's there's real power in visualizing yourself doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wrote a gratitude journal, and it's structured, you know, like bookend your day with gratitude. Um, and you don't need to necessarily buy my journal, although I would love it if you did. But you can just use a regular old journal. And you you know, you look at you open the journal and on the spread, like on the left page, you write down, you know, this is what I want my day to look like this is what if my day looked like this, I would be so grateful, I would be so uh, I would feel victorious, I would feel like you know, I really won today. And then And you do that in the morning. And then on the right side of the spread, you look back at the end of the day and you say, what did I accomplish today? Like, what did I do? And somewhere in there, there needs to be, I did something for someone else.
1: Mm, Nice.
0: And I think we often underestimate those little things we do for other people. And I think we do like a little thing like maybe I've gotten in the habit of dropping a thank you note in the mail once a week. Like every Friday, I kind of end my week with a thank you note to someone, you know, old school, write it down, address it, put a stamp on it. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and, And I do it. And then I kind of forget about it. I just kind of and then somebody a lot of times somebody will say, hey, thanks so much. I got that note in the mail that just totally made my day. And then guess what? I get to like have that same boost of dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and all those good stuff. So I think just taking a minute at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day to say, what do I want my day to look like? And what did I actually accomplish today? Because we don't give ourselves enough credit for the good stuff. What happens is because of the negativity effect, we focus on the bad stuff. We focus on Things that didn't go well, yep. we focus on the things that didn't get done. We focus on, you know, all the negatives. And when you kind of structure your bookend your day with gratitude, you, and you look back and you say, What am I grateful for today? From me and from other people, you'll find that you're really paying attention to those little things that you would have otherwise just overlooked. And yeah. that actually will help you sleep better.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, my, you know, I talk a lot on this show about simplification, about simplifying your life and my things to do list. I, I sort of have a, a, an unofficial rule. I don't put th- more than three things on it. I've got, I might have seven things I want to do in a given day, but my official list will have the three I want to get these three things done today. And uh, so the other stuff is bonus if I get to it. But if I get those three things done every day, and I almost always do, then at the end of the day, I look back over it when I'm going to think of tomorrow's three item list. And I'm like, huh, I can check those three things. I did those three things. Well, your
0: strategy actually forces you to focus. Like, you're only going to put the three most important things. Like, if you get nothing else done today... Both. But you get those three things. It, yes. That's a really good focus technique. Yeah.
1: That's that's what I do. Well, uh, that's all folks. Um go get happy hour with uh Einstein. Go get the journal she was talking about and uh go watch her TED, go watch Dr. Melissa Hughes' TED Talk on YouTube. Go to Rocks. By the way, how did you get that as a suffix, man? I'm so jealous about that.
0: I want right?
1: Rocks. I didn't know that well, existed.
0: Well, Hughes.com was taken. And so I was like, what else is out there? And so I looked at the other ones that were available. And I said, oh, .rocks. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah,
1: Time awesome. me up. <laughs> Go to Rocks and check that out. After you do that... After you get the book and the journal, if you got a couple of bucks left over, go over to com. hopefully rocks someday, and, right. uh, and find out how you can help out this show. Info on that is at the top of the page. Just a few bucks helps us pay the bills. Thank you in advance for that. Dr. Melissa, thanks so much for your time today. You're awesome. Always a pleasure to talk with you.
0: Thank you. Pleasure is all mine.